Greetings and welcome to our Star Wars episode. I'm so excited to share this with you. It has been, it feels like almost a year in the making since we first announced this back in May of 2023. And now it's uh, January 2024 and we're finally getting to the episode. So excited. A few notes about this episode. First, as always, check the First, as always, check the episode description for any content notices and warnings. Also, I just wanted to give you all a heads up that I missed the first half of the episode because I was having car problems and was stranded in Blaine, Minnesota. So I had to wait for a tow truck and then an Uber and all this stuff. It was such a mess. So... Emily and our two guests, Jenny and Josh from the Irreverent Bible Talk podcast started without me, and then I was able to hop in about halfway through the episode when I finally got home. So that's why you will hear me just kind of randomly join in about halfway into the episode. That's what's going on there. Also, because I was not there for the first half of the episode, I was not able to fact check any of my horror Padawan Emily's facts that they shared about Star Wars. So if you are a hardcore fan and you hear something like, that's not actually right, uh, I encourage you to uh, let Emily know by writing to horrornerds.church at gmail.com and they will uh, read <laughs> read that on air, they promise. Uh, any fact-checking that you do for any of the errors they make in the first half before I was able to join and fact-check them live for that. Um, so yeah, I cannot vouch for anything my horror Padawan said in that first half of the episode when talking about some of the facts. Like, um, George, just as an example, George Lucas was not involved in the production of the film Solo, uh, in spite of what Emily claims in that. And last but not least, I just want to say thank you all so much for your continued support, even during our hiatus due to the Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA strikes when we went on hiatus and focused on some books and stuff like that. It means the world to us, and we're so happy to get back into talking about movies, which we love, and sharing those with you. So without further ado, here is our episode on Star Wars, Episode 4, A New Hope. podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about how it connects to queerness, religion, and theology. I'm Pastor Emily, and I am the elephant in a bantha suit. I'm Jenny, and I'm the space oboist in Mos Eisley Cantina. Yes. And I'm Josh, and I am late getting to Tashi Station. Oh, you gotta get those power converters. No, I'm so doomed. For real. Uh... Follow us on Patreon at patreon.com slash horror nerds at church. It's only $5 to sign up. 
and you get exclusive access to hours of bonus content, including BooTube episodes about TV shows, movie commentaries, bonus episodes, and so very much more, especially this season with all things Star Wars. Today, we are super excited to have with us the co-hosts of Irreverent Bible Talk, Jenny and Josh. Jenny is a Lutheran pastor currently serving as an interim in the greater LA area. She is the co-host of Irreverent Bible Talk, a podcast that's not your grandma's Bible study, unless your grandma happens to be really, really cool. When not doing pastory things, Jenny enjoys playing video games with friends, rolling dice for tabletop RPGs, and cuddling with her four-legged children. Josh has a degree in broadcasting and religion and is currently working at a recording studio in the Midwest. Very vague. He is a co-host of Irreverent Bible Talk with Jenny, where he can actually put his degrees to use. When not doing audio stuff, Josh can usually be found playing video games or watching anime. Welcome! Thanks. Happy to be here. Yes, very excited. We are excited to have you. Um... I don't know if you can hear the background. My roommate, I think, just aced her test. Um, Anyway, uh, so we start off with announcements, general check-in. What are you drinking today? All the things. Yeah, so this is is how Josh and I always start our podcast is with what are you drinking? So I thought Mm. it would be fun to to bring that over here uh, to Horror Nerds at Church. Uh, today I am drinking a hoppy rice lager. It's like a local beer, but it's kind of inspired by like Japanese beers, like Asahi, Kirin, that kind of thing. It's mm. very light and enjoyable. Sounds fancy, and I despise hop, so disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Josh? What are you drinking? Uh, um, today I am drinking a rum and a cola from a red mm. can and. Anybody that listens on the River Bible Talk knows I refuse to say the name until they sponsor us. So it's a rum and cola. Josh has taken a hard stand there waiting for the, the red can sponsorship. I'm sure that they will be all over that sponsorship. Um, I am drinking a hot apple toddy, which is a special drink from Sabbath Sips, the TikTok series I do with my room, one of my roommates, um, where we make fancy drinks. Amazing. Um, yeah, they do sponsor us because they are me. Maybe they don't. We don't have sponsors. I'm kidding. We don't have sponsors. Uh, we trade free ads with Nerds at Church, actually, because they are also me. Uh, yeah. Nepotism for good. I don't, uh, I don't think it's nepotism if it's just you. I mean, it's like me and Pace and me and Kay. So, like, I don't know. We're sibling podcasts. I like it. It, it works. It We're good. both doing spacey things right now, so I'm just, like, deep in my, like, sweet spot. Um, but, yeah. How have you all been? Have you been watching or reading anything exciting lately? Uh, oh, my. Yeah. Uh, um, my husband and I have been watching a show called Zom 100, Bucket List of the Dead. Are you watching this, Josh? I have not finished it, but yeah, I started watching it. Why are we talking about it? I don't know, because you only watch, 
your husband only watches like romantic anime, so I never have That's a chance true. to talk about we this do, crazy we stuff. We do watch a lot of like romantic comedy animes. This one <laughs> is about the zombie apocalypse, except uh, the zombie apocalypse frees this guy from his horrible, horrible exploitative office job. And so he's like so happy and he makes a list of all the things he wants to do before he becomes a zombie. And it's just very bright and colorful and weird. Uh, Josh, have you gotten to the episode with the aquarium yet? Yes, I believe so. Okay. Yeah. You would yeah. remember. I. It's been a while. I've watched a <laughs> lot of anime. I have not been that into anime. But we just started watching One Piece, which is the the not the cartoon but the live action from the cartoon and that's super cute half of them are envy it's delightful it's so good it's so cute i i was really nervous because you know we've seen anime adaptions but then like when we started watching it i was like this is really good i watched it four times all the way through because it's great for background noise like Mm, i can have it on pay attention enjoy the characters and we it's just, nice to see that the actors are like super anime nerds. Some of them are, so that it's really endearing. Yeah. We decided that Luffy is an autistic Sagittarius, so I was like, "Luffy's my favorite. Luffy is me. This is just who we are." Okay. Um, That's yeah. fair. Yeah, I also was watching Echo on Disney Plus, the new Marvel Cinematic Universe Ooh, thing. That I have not watched it. that yet in collaboration with the Choctaw Nation and it is fantastic. We just finished it, but nice. it is great. Yeah. And reading, of course, I have to plug Star Wars from a certain point of view. What am I on now? Return of the Jedi. We've been doing a book club. We started when the cause we took a hiatus in the fall because of the strikes. Um because you basically have to use streaming services for all of our stuff. Um so we took a break for the strikes and did a bunch of books. And so we are just finishing up our book series. Um, and Empire Strikes Back actually just came out from a certain point of view the other day. So if you are a booky nerd, in addition to Star Warsy nerds, or it's fantastic. I love it. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we do on this podcast, particularly when we have guests, is to invite them to share a church horror story. It doesn't have to be, um, it can be supernatural. It can be the horrors of church and bad theology. It can be really however you would like to interpret that. So would either of you like to share a church horror story? Uh, as, as a pastor and as a queer pastor, I feel like I have some horror stories I don't really mm-hmm. feel like like reliving them. So uh, That's I fair. I heard Josh has a good story though. So the church, the campus church that I went when I went to college, um, mm-hmm. this happened before I had actually transferred there. And at one point there was like video stuff, but you know the camera was facing the pastor, and it was like I think a Wednesday night service, and all of a sudden like they just hear this yelling from the back of a church but it was in danish and it's the church is like you know the happy danes tradition yeah i mean at so, least they're happy yeah and like one of my campus pastors she was like no this is legit this happened and we bonded over that because ghosts let me see let me 
talk about it. <laughs> Are you a big ghost ghosty person? Uh, yes, hardcore. Uh, do believe, used to ghost hunt, all that. Like, Ooh. I can't explain. Yeah, I mean, my boss tries to give me a bad time. Like, well, how can you say you're Christian but believe in ghosts? I'm like, well, I don't understand half of the stuff that's written in the Bible, so I'm gonna keep going with this and believe what I want to believe. <laughs> Uh, in the fall, we had uh, Pace as a guest over on Irreverent Bible Talk, and we talked about spooky scaries uh, in the Bible. And uh, yeah, I feel like Josh and Pace kind of bonded over that, like, ghosts are real. I was more of the skeptic. Ghosts are real. I'll get into those stories someday. <laughs> um, we did a whole season on ghosts and Ghostbuster and stuff for our fourth season of Horror Nerds at Church. Uh, so that that checks. I think we had we had Pace and Joe, who was the co-host at the time on Nerds at Church, um, to wonder together if Jesus was a ghost, a zombie, a vampire. Like, what is the... Yeah, we for sure, for sure talked about that. Ghost, zombie, vampire, or lich. Didn't you make yeah. a game about that? Jenny? I started, I'm such a nerd. <laughs> I started making like a tabletop game that I was going to call <laughs> Jesus Squad. And like, I might, I might actually bring this to fruition. So nobody steal this idea from me, but it's Jesus Squad and it's a group of four and you are zombie Jesus, vampire Jesus, lich Jesus, and Ooh. ghost Jesus. Interesting. So like one of you <laughs> can go through walls and another can live off of blood and oh my gosh that sounds fantastic and they've been doing more like churchy ish rpgs so i think it's i would play i would definitely play it needs to happen yeah agreed agreed just need to sit down with all that free time that you have <clears throat> yeah especially with lent coming up i mean yeah okay I was like, I was gonna say something very snarky about pastors, but being a pastor, that seems kind of not ideal. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking of things that we just need to sit down and do, uh, we're here to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> um, the thing on this podcast is we're terrible at transitions. I. I'm very much to NB to transition. Um, and I have a shirt to prove it. Um, but so that that was my like grand attempt. Every once in a while we do have a good transition, and then I ruin it by pointing out how good of a transition it was. So <laughs> it's great. I love that. I'm Pastor Emily, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she, her. And we are Nerds at Church, a queer feminist podcast diving deep into faith, nerdery, and the Bible. In our fourth season, we're diving deep into the season of Epiphany, including stars, astronomy, and all things magic. Whether you're a Trekkie or a bookworm, a comics fan, or a science nerd, or even a historical costumer or artist, we've got connections for you. And Emily still has thoughts on Limbus Bread. If you've ever wondered what gifts Muppet Magi would bring, or how they'd name constellations, 
Christians, we've got the perfect segment for you. Nerds at Church releases Wednesday mornings on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you love the weekly scripture readings, also known as the lectionary, our previous episodes are going up on YouTube, too. So you can find us there for past and current episodes. And they all have captions. As the ancient Christian said, Pax Phobiscum. Um, so our film that we are talking about is, depending on how, I don't know, hip you are to the Star Wars cultness, um, the, mo- the name of the film, the original name of the film was Star Wars, directed by George Lucas, came out in 1977. Since then, it has been kind of renamed as Star Wars Episode Four. A New Hope. So, we watched all of the versions of it, basically. Um, Pace and I watched the original theatrical release. Jenny watched the recreated original theatrical release. And Josh... the fan project. Yes. And Josh, I don't remember what you watched. Um, I watched the Disney Plus one. And I was sitting there like, oh... I forgot that they added that. <laughs> that was, yeah. So I I watched the original theatrical release. And then last night I was like, okay, I have to do like demographic information. I'm just going to like watch the regular one with the commentary that the DVD provides. And there were, there were scenes that I was like, oh yeah, Jabba. <laughs> right. Um, the the question, Josh, is in the version that's on Disney Plus, does Han shoot first? No. Ooh, I can't. He doesn't. I that mean, was one of the like, first things that they no, they shoot at the same time. That's, but that like like changed his whole persona. Like he mm-hmm. knew Greedo was gonna shoot, and he just got to it faster. Like so that's the whole point. Like Han knew it was coming because he's a smuggler. Like he knows these things. Yeah, so yeah. I am, and I'll. This is probably not the only time I'll say this on this episode, but like, I am not a huge Star Wars nerd, but like, <laughs> I know enough. I was like, whichever version I'm watching, it has to be one where Han shoots first. And then my husband was like, I have the despecialized edition, the fan made like recreation that he, uh, nobody tell torrented like ten years ago. Uh, so he was like, this is the one you're watching. And I was like, okay. <laughs> That's, I am very much team Han shot first. Um, there's actually a really great Sojourners article on why it's important that, so- that Han shot first in like our understanding of humanity. Huh. Cause otherwise we tend towards, oh, like the, the fact that Han has growth right is somewhat erased if he didn't shoot first like him shooting first is he clearly values himself and his life over anything else and his go-to is violence and then you see through the arc of particularly the first trilogy the original trilogy his growth and even just the end of the movie right where he comes back well i was i was gonna say like he comes back 
but still chooses violence, right? Like his yeah. his rearrival at the end, where it's like Han came back, is to like shoot the uh the shit. What are they called? The stormtrooper Tie fighter. fighters. Tie mm-hmm. fighter is it? The Tie fighters. Tie? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and that's right. Like that's where it's there's growth. Does he become a perfect human? No, but we do see several episodes later, right when it comes to his son. He doesn't choose violence. Mm-hmm. He chooses openness and open arms. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm really excited. We we watched uh, Solo for our horror buff level of Patreon, so that's ten dollars or more a month, and did an episode on that. And so that was really interesting to like think about that. And in that, Han does shoot first. Um, and I think that was the, like, George Lucas's way of, like, coming back around and being like, yeah, okay. <laughs> he shot first here. Um, but I do think it's important in this particular movie that he shoots first. So we may or may not get into that more. Who knows? We already, like, are skipping around. But, um, so for but some... We cont- went right off the rails. I Yeah. That's <laughs> sorry, what we not sorry. do. Yeah, apology rejected. Um, <laughs> we usually go off the rails, especially with guests, so it is fine. Um, also, Pace isn't here to, like, not that Pace would rein it in, but I'm a little bit being like, just wait, Pace, until you hear what we've talked about. Um, which actually then just makes me want to, like, talk about how wonderful Pace is and how much we all love love them. Pace is great. Agreed. Yeah. Um, anyway, so some contextualization. 1977 was before I was born. You're welcome to all of you who now feel a little bit older. Same. Um, Me too. <laughs> nice. Three. Me three. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it came out, uh, Star Wars came out the same time as Saturday Night Fever, The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, Exorcist II, The Heretic, The Rescuers, I love The Rescuers. Right. Pete's Dragon and the Rankin-Bass version of The Hobbit. It also came out in the, like, horror genres uh, at the same time as Suspiria, which we covered for Horror Nerds at Church in Season 4, and Orca, the Killer Whale. which I don't know much about it, but I know that I am Team Orca in the world today, so sounds exciting. Um, we could sink some more yachts or whatever. Uh, also, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is going to probably be on Patreon later this season for our Patreon subscribers. And House by Toho. I know nothing of that one because I am not a horror person. But yeah, that's some contextualization right there for you, folks. <laughs> um, wow. So... What were your first memories or experiences or earliest that you can remember of this film? Oh, man. Um, So every year on Christmas, we'd go to my grandma's after we do our family stuff. Mm-hmm. And my cousins would we'd always have the TV on. And one of them always would turn it to, I don't know if it was TNT, TBS. One of them was, would play Star Wars. <laughs> and so like that is like some of my first memories of watching Star Wars was a small yeah. child watching it on the TV. Grandma's big, like, old-school wooden TV. Yeah. I feel like there are certain 
movies that are like marathoned during the holidays, right? It used to be one that I no longer watch because the author is a turf. Um, but also like 007 sometimes and Star Wars. Yeah. Hmm. You're like not actually Christmassy, but somehow associated with Christmas. Like it. Yeah. I I know we definitely had like the VHS tapes of we the original too. trilogy like in our house growing up. And so <laughs> yep. I like I can't tell you at what age I first watched it, but it was definitely like kind of present in my childhood. Um yeah, I mean we must have mm-hmm. watched it we must have watched it more than once uh just like in the VCR at home. Um cuz it was kind of that like sort of background radiation like because it had such it had <laughs> the such cosmic background radiation yeah, basically <laughs> you know it was like it had such cultural influence and mm-hmm. when i was watching it for this um i was kind of trying to see it with new eyes and like what if i had never seen a star war and i watched this movie like star what would war. i what would i think about it um <laughs> Not even one, not even a single Star Wars. Uh, so I was kind of trying to like see it with fresh eyes because I do feel like it's just kind of, I don't know, ingrained, especially the, the soundtrack. Like yeah. I was trying to listen to the music and be like, what if you had never heard this before? What if you went to the theater and heard this score for the first time and like your brain exploded because it it's yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, so... I also had the VHS, the original trilogy on VHS growing up. So I don't really know when um, when we first, like, watched it. I remember talking to my dad about him watching the original series in theaters mm. when we were, like, getting ready to watch the prequel trilogy in theaters when it was starting to come out. So I watched it sometime before then but unclear where that all like plays out. But yeah, it's the, so I was listening to the commentary last night and I will first register that it was terribly done. The commentaries, they just had everybody come in individually and say stuff during the movie and then they spliced it all together. So there was no conversation and Carrie Fisher did not have nearly enough comments included. Um, I have opinions. They never did. (laughs) Did right by Carrie. Um, for for real. Truth. Yeah. Uh, but they were talking about it and talking about, like, how used to some of the stuff they got. Like, how used to the hyper, going into hyperspace, um, hyperdrive, and how used to that visual they got in the course of, like, filming and editing. And then when it was like first being like previewed and stuff that like audiences were blown away by it. And they were like, Oh yeah, this is really incredible. (laughs) If it's your first time experiencing it. Uh, Especially because they like invented so, so many of the visual effects. It was like stuff nobody had done before. And they were like, yeah, we could make that happen probably. And then they like figured it out. Yeah. That's the visual effects and sound effects people were two of the people on the thing and they were talking about like at the time that star wars was made um the visual effects was not actually a sustainable industry like it wasn't an industry so like the guy that did it was like yeah sure i'll do it for this 
movie and then he was like thinking that he was gonna have to then go from that to like some other thing and retire and no longer do visual effects because it wasn't a way to make a living and now the idea of not having a visual effects person on a movie is bizarre even for the most mundane of movies mm-hmm. um, so i was like this this star wars was like so much of the shift in so much of how we do movies and films which is kind of cool yeah um so more background we've already dug into some of the background but more background um the development of the film was a bit of a like george lucas being like hey please 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 um and he was thinking of it as like the saturday serials kind of thing according to him um but it was um, originally called Adventures of the Star Killer, as taken from the Journal of the Wills Saga 1, The Star Wars, which was inspired by Flash Gordon and originally was going to be an adaptation, um, except they couldn't obtain the rights and so got switched and was heavily inspired by The Hidden Fortress by Akira Kurosawa. Um, most notably, the droids fulfilling the two side characters' adventuring roles, which George Lucas claims that the droids were actually who he wanted to be the main characters uh, and wanted the film to follow along the droids, which I think actually happens um, a fair amount because R2-D2 is just so amazing and C-3PO tags along. Um, R2-D2 is the hero of the movie and at it's the true. end does not get a medal. And that's I an know. outrage. That is a whole thing that I'm so rude. frustrated about, but we don't need to talk about that right now. We can save that until the end. But we will get into it because I, have a whole I made a comment and somebody that. made a comment on my comment. So I know we'll get there. Um, yes. And also heavily inspired by Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. And this was only like the second big movie that George Lucas directed. Uh, so this was not like George Lucas, how we know him today, but like... Okay, I had one good hit. Can I get another? Kind of George Lucas. Um, And there's a lot more that Pace would be able to decipher that's written down that I don't know what it means for any of it. Um, (laughs) But there are a bunch of people um, who were involved in making it the thing. And this was also the time when there was a shift between like movie style that instead of doing a play adaptation... It was really a movie and written for movie stuff. Um, And so shifting from a primarily dialogue-based to also action-based, like George Lucas watched like war plane fights. And that's part of like how he constructed and choreographed the fight scenes that we have. Um, And Brian De Palma from Carrie... Um, initially called that opening scrawl that we all know and love, chipperish. <laughs> so, like, there's there's some things that were just so against the grain and so counterintuitive to what was the norm at the time that now we look back and we're like, bet you're eating those words, Brian De Palma. Right. Um, and, like, mm-hmm. even today, like, that opening scrawl, it can be so good, but if you don't do it right, it's just... Like, I don't want to start a movie by reading, mm-hmm. says the guy that has to have captions on because he can't understand what's said <laughs> half the time anymore. 
we are and i was uh, i was thinking yeah. about that opening crawl too because it like again trying to go into it imagining that i had never seen anything star wars like George Lucas has this whole like universe and plot that he has to set up and he mm-hmm. has like there's so much plot packed into that opening scrawl and they're like the evil empire and the death star and princess leia and the rebels and it's like here's all this context that you're going to need because otherwise there's no fucking way you're going to understand mm-hmm. this movie which is a bold filmmaking choice and that's, that's part of what George Lucas... So I don't know how much of the commentary... So the commentary was done right before the prequel series, the prequel trilogy came out. So I don't know how much was George Lucas trying to like retcon what actually happened and his questionable choices <laughs> and how much was like actually how he was thinking about it. But he was thinking about it, like he claims that he was thinking about it as like a serial where like if you miss one week and none of your friends saw it, then too bad you just don't know so you really are dropped into the middle and just have to like scramble to catch up and that is very much what happens for mm-hmm. those who have read from a certain from a certain point of view books the end of each one has the wills writing that opening scrawl and it's one person writing it and, or one will writing it and another coming in and being like well that's not true well why are you saying that is it really that like that makes no sense what about this you forgot to mention this or that or the other and which is actually like a hilarious way to point out all of that stuff that you're talking about jenny of like you have to catch it all or you're gonna be totally lost and good luck and you're gonna be totally lost anyway yeah yeah um and also george lucas is gonna change his mind a bunch of times about what stuff is (laughs) yes yep yep that's the and and that's like the retconning happened as soon as the 1980 release right they added episode four a new hope to the title there was more background for empire strikes back the trilogy of trilogies started to like come together but he didn't have all of that he had like a vague background because you have to have a background to set a scene well but he did not have clone wars and all of that stuff before he made star wars um, yeah. Um, also, in '97, there was a special edition that came out for the 30th anniversary, which is very exciting, and a novelization which was ghostwritten by Alan Dean Foster, and a radio play version which apparently is fantastic. And there's a Wikipedia article about it. Thanks, Ace. <laughs> um, also, fun facts that I learned in my different Star Wars nerdery. The actor who played C-3PO, Anthony Daniels, was originally not going to be the voice of the character C-3PO. And then people gave the director and folks shit about that. And so they ended up being like, okay, Anthony Daniels. But they tried to replace him like several times. And Anthony Daniels is actually the only actor who was in every single movie as C-3PO. So that I thought was really interesting. And also he has a great biography called I Am C-3PO, The Inside Story um, that I read a while ago and just really liked it. Um, Cool. Yeah. Also, Lucas, in the like following the droids, Lucas called R2-D2 the MacGuffin. 
which is like I don't know the one who moves the plot along which is what he is like he's got the plans he's the one who like goes to find Obi-Wan all of that stuff yeah they're but, they're really chasing him the entire movie right <laughs> because he is the hero of or, the whole thing or they I don't know why does R2-D2 have to have a male gender it's true I think I was gonna say this later but I'll say it now I think that R2-D2 has chaotic, bisexual, NB energy. I like it. Yeah. I like it. C-3PO has, like, whiny white cis gay energy, obviously, but. (laughs) I'm not the one that came up with that particular descriptor, just for the record, for that, for (laughs) C-3PO. I agree with it. I just didn't come up with it. Um, But, yeah, R2-D2 is the best, and we should all love R2-D2 more and shower him, shower them with praise and stuff. Um, also, Anthony Daniels didn't even get his name on the, like, movie stuff for a long time. They just, like, didn't count. He didn't count as an actor because, I mean, back in the day, the stunt actors were not the ones voicing it, were not the, like, carryovers. And that's right, I mean, like, how they were trying to make him. The, the, person in the darth vader costume is not james earl jones mm-hmm. but they also yeah. like learned all the lines too for the delivery because they mm-hmm. weren't sure if they were going to get the spot or not but yeah like just hearing the cuts like you couldn't use it because it was all muffled but mm-hmm. yeah and that's what happened like c3po they had to go back in and record all of that for c3po and half the time for everybody who's in- interacting with because to try and talk through the plastic was unreasonable but- also, as an audio guy, like way better when they can't, you don't have to mouch mouth movements. Mm, it's so yeah. much easier to be like, oh, he kind of bobs his head. So, yeah, we'll just put this here. <laughs> I believe that. I believe that. That's also, I think, why it's easier, not perfect, but easier to dub cartoons than live action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, and most importantly, the most important background information in this is that there are elephants. In Star Wars. Elephants are my favorite animal, for those of you who have not already figured that out. Um, there are elephants in Star Wars. The Banthas are elephants in Bantha costumes. That's pretty oh, rad. I definitely, I did not know that. And if you had asked me, I would have said it's like a, like a Muppet Jim Henson style uh, construction. I would mm-hmm. not have guessed there was an actual elephant in there. Which would not have been, like, a totally off guess, but they didn't have the budget for all of the, like, robots and stuff that they needed. So, like, R2-D2, half the time, there was a person inside Mm -hmm. (laughs) R2-D2 maneuvering, and half the time, R2-D2 was the robot. Um, But was, were elephants more affordable? I mean, that seems like that would also be expensive. I mean... Apparently. You would think in 77, like animal rights was not a big thing at that point either like no one cared yeah, as much george as... lucas definitely like in the commentary when he said that he was like because that was just what we did in that day put an <sighs> elephant in a giant costume because it was easier to get people on and off and all of that i hate that so, phrase yeah uh yes agreed uh but it was like two two elephants is what <laughs> they had i think for all of the banthas which like they don't have a ton of banthas so I think, like, if you don't know if this is going to be a long-term thing where you're going to need Bantha's next movie or not, maybe it's more affordable. 
I don't know. I'm just excited that there are elephants in space. Fair. That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now that we've, you know, covered half of the movie, uh, what? <laughs> let's summarize it for our listeners. Um, when we have taken to doing one sentence summaries. I will do uh, Pace's one sentence summary for them because I think it's a fantastic one sentence summary. Pace's summary is space. <laughs> <laughs> what one sentence summaries do you two have? Uh, I think uh, Emily, you and I were on a similar wavelength. Uh, my one sentence summary is Star Wars: A New Hope. A film about a mediocre small town dude who, for some reason, gets way more attention than the vastly more competent but narratively secondary female protagonist. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Mm. I said, droids and a princess save the day while the cis white boys get all the credit. Uh, my summary was: it's got a storyline that you would see in a lot of animes today. That going off Virginia. Yeah. A lot of isekais, you would think. Yeah, he he used all of the tropes he could possibly find. Just tossed them all in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so a walk through the film. This is our space where like whatever came up for you, whatever you want to like make sure people talk about, um, or people know about, or any of that stuff. Um yeah. So one one thing, and like I do want to be fair because I am like, I feel like I'm coming at this from a I'm gonna shit on Star Wars kind of direction. But <laughs> in fairness to Star Wars, uh, I think that they the this film does a really good job of bringing you into the world along with Luke, right? That Luke mm-hmm. starts out like very sheltered and he doesn't really know anything. And, and he's then very like, whiny. Oh yes, he's so whiny. Um, but he is like discovering all this stuff that he's like hearing about the force and he's hearing about the war and he's hearing about what happened to his father allegedly. Um, and so like as his horizons are kind of opened, you as the audience are also getting to experience that, which I think is really well mm-hmm. done. The part that annoys me is and this is very much like looking at it in retrospect is that ray in the sequel trilogy gets so much shit of like how does she know how to do this how does she know how to do that Mm -hmm. and i got to the end of a new hope and i was like where the fuck did useless Mm -hmm. luke skywalker who was fixing moisture evaporators (laughs) learn how to be a fighter pilot um, and my husband was like, oh, hang on, Josh, because I think I'm going to preempt you. Uh, <laughs> Josh was ready to do a well, actually. I saw it. I, yeah, there's, right. Like, even the, all of us have glasses, so it's real easy to push the glasses up on the nose for the well, actually, too. Yeah. Uh, uh, so see see if I can, I can cut your argument off, Josh, before you even make it. Um, because Luke says, oh, like, I used to go around on my speeder and I would, like, like shoot the rats. whatever, the little rats. Womp rats. Uh, right, which is kind of like saying, I drive a fast sports car, therefore I can pilot an <laughs> F-16. Like, they're not equivalent. Like, I acknowledge that Luke had skills. I just don't think he mm-hmm. had fighter pilot skills. 
Especially in, like, what, ten hours? I think, like, the entire yeah. movie takes place in the space of a couple of days. If that, yeah. If that. Yeah. I I agree. I All I'm saying, Josh, all I'm saying is that I think Luke Skywalker is a real Mary Sue. It's just, he's not believable. They give him all these abilities, and there's, like, no justification for it. Apparently um. now, they call boys who are Mary Sue's Gary Stews. We could just call them Luke Skywalkers. No. <laughs> yes! Um. I'm sorry. I, I do feel like I should say I love Josh to death and we give each other shit a lot. So, like, sorry, Josh. No, you're good. I apologize you rejected it. on everyone's behalf in this podcast. <laughs> Unnecessary apology. All the shit. Please give. give. It's fair. Uh, I was just going to say, um, you know, looking at the prequels, too, like, Anakin was the same way. Because mm-hmm. he had that, like, hey, you can race pods. It's like, your example, like, oh, I can race a Ferrari. That doesn't mean I can fly a 747. Yeah. But he yeah. goes out and, and saves and the day. They definitely make Anakin, especially, like, young Anakin, like, way too much of a genius that he's like, look, I built these droids. Mm-hmm. should have been like my first robot and it was just the like walking <laughs> trash can that used to be at disneyland like um that's basically c-3po um and that's why his legs one leg's different color <laughs> glasses push <laughs> i mean there is a walking trash can in the uh jawas mover oh yeah like because I was trying to read about that because I couldn't remember if, like, R2 sabotaged that other R2 okay. unit. So, here's the deal. In Star Wars from a certain point of view, A New Hope, the original one, um, the, the Star Wars from a certain point of view, for those of you who have not been listening to me talk about how wonderful they are for a while, um, takes the main story arc from the perspective of everyone who is not Luke. In this case, Obi-Wan, Han, Leia, basically. Um, Which is fascinating. And one of them is the perspective of the R4 unit. The red, the red, the red droid. Um, And in that, so the from a certain point of view are like, maybe it's canon, maybe it's not. You decide for yourself, officially. Um, But they, in that, R2 knows that there's a mission and that they have to go on it and so is trying to get the other the r4 unit like initially is maybe trying to sabotage the r4 unit but the r4 unit like wakes up and is like what are you doing get away from me and then r2 is like look i have this mission and like is telling them all about it and they're like sounds fake but (laughs) they sit with it and then when the when luke and Owen, his uncle, are, like, coming to buy the droids, the R4 unit self-sabotages so that to save the day. R2 can get bought and go so, on his adventure to save the day. That droid yeah. was the real hero of the movie? That's what I was gonna say. Damn it, Jenny! <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing that we've learned from, from our podcast is that Josh and I uh, kind of share a brain, so... It's pretty weird. But neat. 
Yeah. That tracks. Um, yeah. I love R2-D2. R2-D2 is one of the ones that, like, Faith and I are picking, like, a couple characters to, like, trace throughout the season. And then at the end, we're going to, like, specifically talk about them. Um, and some of them are, like, up for suggestions from the from our listeners. But R2 is one of the ones that I was like, I am following R2 because I love R2. Valid. Um, and it, it really is, like, R2-D2, protagonist extraordinaire. And... Yeah sentient i think r2 has the force Ooh, i mm. like that take mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we have merch that is not quite up yet but is coming because i think all droids go to heaven Isn't i think it's droids have... i mean hey yeah i mean listen he's not like an evil droid i he's know just whiny and incompetent and terrified of everything What's i do evil feel droid like c3po Mm-hmm. gets some like redemption like in this first film he's pretty annoying but like i don't know the uh, episodes seven eight and nine absolutely have their flaws but i actually really liked c-3po's arc in the mm. sequel movies um because mm. uh, i feel like he finally kind of like finds his courage a little bit yeah also they've been wiping his memory like nobody's business yeah, poor dude. He can't keep his mm-hmm. mouth shut. <laughs> right? Like he doesn't know. recognize dude, Princess though. Leia. Right. Also, like I don't think he would be able to C three PO would be able to under like comprehend the fact that Darth Vader was the one who created him. Like I think that would like blow his circuits. Yeah, I think that would probably cause its own meltdown. Yeah. So this was something that I couldn't remember. Uh, because in this film, in episode four, it seems like the way that it was written, C-3PO and R2-D2 don't, like, know each other. That they, like, both happen to be aboard this ship. Mm. Um, but, like, some of the things that C-3PO says early on, it seemed like it was really kind of implying that he didn't know R2-D2. And... Of course, you can explain that by saying, like, he got his memory wiped and all that stuff. But it, it kind of seemed to me that that was maybe a retcon, that originally these two droids were completely unrelated before the film started. And then they, like, are thrown together by circumstance, which I don't know. I kind of like, like that better. Which is, like, how you better. do a lot of, like, dual protagonist mm-hmm. stuff. I think my interpretation of it was as a protocol droid his primary allegiance is to whoever presently owns him, whether it's right. through unsavory means or not. And so he has some affinity for R2 and, and even says like, we've worked together in the past and it's been great, whatever. Um, but is not partly, I think because he's gotten his memory wiped a bunch and partly because he is so rigid about protocol that he's not going to like really push Mm-hmm. And he's not really going to be as open to relationship and depth of relationship with droids or anyone because it's against protocol. The protocol mm-hmm. is you serve, right? These are your masters. And this is definitely colored by the books <laughs> that we've been reading because when it comes to like return of the jedi and jabba and luke selling them to jabba and like c-3po does this where he's like well i guess i'm jabba's now that sucks 
thanks a lot, Luke. But mm-hmm. ultimately, it's like, okay. Until Luke comes and rescues him. I was going to say, even then, like, they still don't tell C-3PO the plans because they don't yeah. trust him. Yeah, he can't keep his ear for shit. Like, Mm-mm. nope. Um, one of the other things that I want to point out that Pace pointed out. Um, so when we first encounter Obi-Wan in this, I was like, we were watching it together and I was like, it seemed like Obi-Wan doesn't recognize R2-D2, but he should recognize R2-D2, right? And Pace pointed out that there's a there's a fan edit that we'll link to in the show notes of Obi-Wan with PTSD. That, like, part of that disconnect is that he has PTSD. So they, they just do flashbacks, right? Like, that's how they portray it in the YouTube video. But um, that, I thought, was really interesting way of thinking about when because obi-wan as old ben has been like kind of hanging out with luke and like seeing him occasionally but not a lot and so luke like knows who he is but not in a way that has been very vividly necessarily bringing up his past and the like wars that he fought um although like the more more recent canon i can't remember it's in one of the shows that my husband made me watch so many Star Wars shows. I love Aww. my husband. I love him a lot more than I love Star Wars. But anyway, uh, the the idea, right, is that, like, Obi-Wan takes the twins and, like, stashes them, right? So, like, takes mm-hmm. Leia and is like, okay, this is going to be your new family. And then he, like, kind of stays on Tatooine and, like, keeps an eye on Luke. So mm-hmm. you would think that, like, Luke's very existence would trigger everything that Obi-Wan has gone through. Mm. I I mean I can I think so kind of. Right? Like there's there's an extent to to which yes. And also he has seen Luke at ages and stages mm. that like he never saw Anakin as a baby. Mm-hmm. Right? Like Anakin was already 5 or 6 when he started Jedi training, which is very late, which is like a whole other thing that Pace and I actually will have talked about. We'll, we have talked about, but it will come out in March um, in our Patreon episode on Ahsoka's arc. But like the Jedi take babies mm-hmm. from their families to become Jedi. And so while he's been around babies because the younglings and the padwans are like grow up in the Jedi order. That's not who Anakin was. Mm-hmm. And so he first is getting to know Luke as this baby and like babies just have power to like shift things and shift how we think about things and shift our hormones, whether or not we are the ones who give birth to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think that helps kind of, jolt him out of it and then the things that luke is doing are not jedi things right he's right fixing moisture evaporator machines and stuff and going going into town for power converters no he never gets to go oh god his uncle owen never lets him out poor luke (laughs) i like to think that maybe obi like for my thought process like obi-wan probably recognized r2 but didn't want to give too much away and that could mm-hmm. be that you know 
R2 was supposed to have his memory wiped, their memory wiped, which I don't believe that they did. I believe that they're fully conscious of everything throughout all the yeah. whole series. And maybe that's, that's why they're not telling C-3PO so it doesn't blow C-3PO's mind. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. <gasps> Hello, Pace. Hello. Welcome. We're um, very far along. We're in the walkthrough of the film. We've taken many tangents. <laughs> I did mention your... We're, we're like talking about the Obi-Wan has PTSD and why didn't he recognize R2-D2 right now? Yeah, I kind of... I kind of buy the idea that Obi-Wan is like just has a good poker face because especially the way he's portrayed in episode four, he mm-hmm. kind of has that like wise wizard thing going on, right? Like yeah. Gandalf, keep your secrets, like mm-hmm. that same mm-hmm. kind of uh, energy. Uh, so I, I feel like it's at least within the confines of this film, he mm-hmm. is kind of doling out information to Luke like very gradually uh, and keeping a lot to himself that he does know. And so I could definitely see it that way. Yeah, that that tracks for me. And to your point, Josh, um, R2-D2 has never had his memory wiped. That is clear. It, like they talk about that in Clone Wars at one point that Anakin doesn't ever wipe R2-D2's memory. And in... Star Wars, from a certain point of view, <laughs> Return of the Jedi, um, there's a droid in Jabba's palace that encounters R2-D2, and R2-D2 like helps it figure out how to not have its memory wiped, and that like hints at this idea that memory wiping is how droids are kept from becoming sentient. And since mm. R2-D2 never had, his mem- had their memory wiped... They are sentient. I like that. And they, like, can help other droids resist. I like that. Yeah, that's really good. I'm basically just here to advertise for the book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Also, I think that, also, Jenny, what you were saying about, like, just, like, being subtle and low-key and not giving away that they knew what was going on. The number one rule, which we will find at some point when we get to Leia, is never admit your cover's blown, right? And so, like, she is like, I'm on a diplomatic mission. How could you? And they're Mm -hmm. like, these are all of the reasons why we know you're not on a diplomatic mission. And she's like, this is a diplomatic vehicle. (laughs) You have to treat me with respect. And I love it because it's just like that that point of like, don't ever admit that your cover has been blown because when you even, do. Even if your enemy knows something, you don't know how much your enemy knows. And so like, mm-hmm. don't give them anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Leia's, Leia's brilliant. I love Leia so much. Mm-hmm. Also, this has never been clear to me. And again, there are like much greater Star Wars nerds on this call than myself. <laughs> What is Leia the princess of? Alderaan. Like the mm-hmm. planet. Her adopted father yeah. was... Alderaan. You know, the planet that was exploded in front of her face while her parents were still there. Yes. And she never is tempted by the dark side. Um, uh-huh. Also, and she comforts Luke. Because this old man This old died. guy that he kind of knew died. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. 
I I don't know. I guess I like thought Alderaan was like a democracy or a republic or something, but apparently I'm wrong. It's Ish. kind of yes, like it's a constitutional. It's monarchy. one of those weird things. Yeah, because like we also got introduced to this in the prequel trilogy where Queen Amidala is an elected queen and she serves for four years as an elected queen and then she's mm-hmm. not a queen anymore and she has a sub so it seemed but Otteron for some reason seems to like Leia's mom is queen and she seems to stay queen for the entire duration of Leia's life so it's not entirely clear mm. how mm. their government works but it's still supposedly a democracy like I, it makes no sense Mm-hmm. And her her whole planet gets exploded, which like obviously is horrible, especially mm-hmm. for the people mm-hmm. who live there. Uh, but then at the end, like she's kind of still like princessing because they do the whole like I know we're gonna talk <laughs> about the award ceremony at the end, but she's like presiding over this whole thing, mm-hmm. and it's like your whole planet got blown up. Like, what are you the princess of? I think maybe this is okay. What if this is the beginning of her shift from? royalty to armed service kind of like how this is where she becomes general and went from like yeah Yeah. like maybe not general yet but like and she's also still a senator so i mean the senate is disbanded at the very beginning of this movie Mm -hmm. off screen like they don't like it doesn't actually happen that we see but she is still like she would still have some diplomatic stuff as a senator so i feel like that along with Mon Matha being a former senator who we get introduced to in the third movie um, would put them like higher up in the whatever of the rebels, mm-hmm. the hierarchy of the rebels. It's clear that the rebels also don't have their shit together <laughs> and are no not way. great. What are you talking about? I, they were fully I don't know mapped what he, out and strategic. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, I always saw it as like, <laughs> like how it's still president obama president bush like it's still mm-hmm. like you still carry that title with you even though you're no longer I mean, serving does he <laughs> you are i'm thinking the most recent queen Not. of a pile of rocks in space that are dust space i mean rocks, technically rocks are it's no longer in a pile it's <laughs> yes. still there just in yes. pieces floating debris a weird jigsaw puzzle yeah yeah hmm. Also, I would just like to say it was delightful to hear some of the phrases that are, like, so iconic and some of the sayings that are so iconic during this movie. So, like, these are not the droids you're looking for, right? Which I have a game that is my favorite game ever called Star Flux. It's a variation on the game Flux where the rules change all the time and half the time you win on accident. Mm-hmm. Um, and Starflex is the space nerd version so it has like not the droids but everything is just off so it's like laser sword instead of lightsaber um but it's Legally everything's distinct just laser sword mm-hmm. yeah um so that it, they don't have to deal with any of the copyright stuff uh, but it takes like firefly star trek star wars and like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and just like combines them all you're gonna it's make fantastic. me cover firefly aren't you <gasps> you I should that show what <clears throat> excuse me for the no ear piercing scream that i did <laughs> i thought that was jenny <laughs> Not gonna lie. 
I was like, wow, that was like a very good scream, and you're like just straight face looking down. No, no, I, uh, my feelings on Firefly are mixed, but, uh, for the record, fuck Joss Whedon. Right? Yeah, for the record, 100%. Yeah. Gave us some great stuff. Still an asshole, scumbag. Okay, but. but imagine, like, part of it for me is imagine how much better it could have been if he had not been the one. Yeah, but we could do that for Star Wars or like literally anything. But we're I still know. stuck with the shit. I know. <laughs> anyway. But like, it's like the Bible. Sometimes you just gotta look and be like, how the hell did all of those gems even make it all the way into the final copy? When it went through that much patriarchy and yeah, that much true. empire to get there. Like, how did we get the daughters of Zalofe had? How did they make it all the way? Yeah. That's, that's, that's my, yeah. Um, also, let the Wookiee win is always solid advice. So good. Mm-hmm. Solid. Did y'all, since, since I came in late, I don't know, did y'all talk about Darth Vader's helmet yet? Looking like a No, I penis? saved that one just for oh, you. Thank you. Darth Vader's helmet looks like a glans penis, which is fitting since Anakin is a dick. So I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, I feel like there is nothing that we could say about that that the movie Spaceballs did not say better. Fair. <laughs> and honestly... Because I feel like I that was, was most of Spaceballs was they were just like, let's talk about all the penis imagery in Star Wars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of which, maybe we should cover... That should be one of the movies we cover that we haven't fully scheduled out for Patreon, Emily. Spaceballs? Yeah. Okay. I was thinking, I was trying to figure out how to fit into the season, but it won't fit on the main feed, but we can do it on Patreon. You heard I'm it here first, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Um, okay. And now, the final awarding of the ceremonial medals of cis white boyness. Yay. You showed up. Have a cookie. Right? (laughs) Okay, Chewie got robbed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. R2-D2 super got robbed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's all I have to say about that. Right, and if if Han and Luke were going to get a medal, A, like, yes, affirming the who got robbed, but also... Leia got robbed herself. She's given them out. She doesn't even get one. She has to give them away. And if they get one, then C-3PO even deserves one. Like, they're on the same level as C-3PO. Yes, he did one thing, right? He was complaining and whiny and white, whiny, Siske. But but he he did send them to away. Right, like the the like two times he did a right thing when they were in the Death Star, and he was like, he um, also C three PO also oh kept them from getting squished in the trash compactor. I feel like that halfway R two is an honorable mention. C three PO was just he, screaming at him. That's the point, though. Is he did so little, and yet he deserves it just as much as Han or Luke. Sure. They each I mean, did like one thing, which which is to say that really none of them deserves a medal. Uh-huh. I mean, how well, many? Here, here's the other thing too. Like the whole fucking Death Star was destroyed. Did uh-huh. y'all talk about this yet? How many no. like 
people they My just sword. like full on obliterated. Right, that so, Obi Wan is like, <gasps> like when how many Alderaan is destroyed, and then like nobody even bats an eye when the entire planet like, and how it's many like a poor planet like janitors inside. and stuff who are not even like on board with the empire just got stationed to this thing or drafted I mean, or I mean like destroyed. Uh, like first of all. I, I do not think that uh, we should condone blowing up a planet or a space station, but at least I will say that you could, like, plausibly argue that everyone on the Death Star was, like, a combatant, which, like, you clearly could not for Alderaan. Yes. So, I mean, like, both are bad. Ultimately. You know, there was some poor barista that was just trying to get through their shift. Right. And all of a sudden, <laughs> on, just like, what the hell? the Death Star. Yeah, I mean... If it's, your place of employment is called the Death Star, you need to rethink <laughs> your choices. I mean, you gotta eat. You gotta pay taxes. I'm sure the Emperor had crazy tax rates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was really weird that Chewie was up there with him, turned around, <laughs> and just roared. Like, what the hell? It's like, 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 dude, this is a official ceremony like can you not scream have have you all rude the... did you know that chewy's voice is made up of a bunch of different bears oh and lions Actual and a few bear other noises animals and stuff. yeah I love that. also heard... baby lions roaring is adorable i saw a tiktok have you all heard the fan theory um about chewy and han what that okay. they're gay for each other well or that's that... that's not or what i was that referring to chewy yes. is or that Han is Chewie's pet? The latter. Uh, yes. So, that space so, is, yeah. This this is, uh, maybe you've already talked about this in another episode, but um, Wookiees live way longer than humans. And Han says at some point that, like, he saved Chewie's life. And so Chewie is, like, indebted to him. And they're, like, like lifetime loyalty. And people are, like, why would this Wookiee, like, be so devoted to this dumb human and it's like, well, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that just for some random life form. But if like a really heroic dog saved your life, you would stick with that dog for the rest mm-hmm. of its life, right? Yeah. And that that Han is Chewie's dog, uh, and I really like that interpretation. Pace has mentioned that, and but when you're saying it, Jenny, I'm like, oh, okay. Pace just said it as fact, and I was like, okay. And then Jenny's like, but these are all of the. Okay, yeah. You gotta lay the groundwork. <laughs> and also I love I love in the um sequel trilogy how when uh Le- Leia and Han get divorced that Chewie keeps Han, like he keeps custody <laughs> over Han. <laughs> he, he he gets he gets the dog in the divorce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We talked about that in our well, we will talk about that slash have in our Han in our solo episode for a Patreon buff horror buff Patreon people. Yeah. I keep talking about that episode pace, just so you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. but yeah, but that is a I I think it works both for like they might be in a relationship and Han just might be a pet. Yeah. That works. But mm-hmm. I do I just really like that spin that it puts on everything that like everything from Chewie's point of view is just like 
he's taking his dog to the dog park and he's like they're so cute like look at all these humans oh, they're my dog got all my dog got problems. first place in this he got a little medal <laughs> oh my gosh okay this i think is the perfect transition into our deep theological discussions because i think it is a fantastic pushback against the speciesism that is so rampant in all of the Star Wars universe. Um, and some of it is like the characters themselves, right? Where Leia calls Chewie a walking carpet, which is a little bit, I think, like Han shot first. Like, I don't want to think that Leia would say that about Chewie. And also, she has some growth to do too, I guess. Yeah. But to like push back because so much of the way that we experience star wars is so human centric and like human vocal cord centric so that all of the other stuff like we kind of get like jabba the hut and hoodies as a language but like chewy is chewy's language is never spoken by anyone except wookies like even c3po who is supposed to translate all of this stuff, can translate from Wookiee to basic galactic or whatever, but doesn't ever translate basic galactic into Wookiee, which mm-hmm. is not what it's actually called. It's like Solwick? Shrewick. Shrewick. I looked it up once. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like once you once you get into the deep dive, like, fundamentally, I think you just have to come to the conclusion that star wars is deeply flawed and that fans are going to come up with like better canon than actual canon in almost every instance Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. yeah wookies are this are the superior species compared to humans like they are more advanced yeah if you just if you just accept that premise it makes everything better my sister right now is like Mm -hmm. really really into um stuff about the clones but like Mm -hmm. exclusively fan fiction like not (laughs) canon clone shit but like people who are deeply exploring the experience and inner world of the clones Hmm. love it i like it (laughs) and they have like a the bad batch i think is the closest any canon comes to that of like look it's clones there there was an episode in clone wars too but don't forget about I keep, I am the Star Wars, like, I don't know if Emily talked about this or not, but I am on the spectrum, and I am also ADHD, and what that means is that sometimes my serotonin will come from (laughs) these really deep, obscure dives into something that absolutely Mm -hmm. makes no sense, and so last year... I decided I'm going to read every single canon novel of Star Wars. And I read about like maybe 40 of them before the serotonin stopped juicing the way it's supposed to. And but still like 40 is a fair amount. It's a pretty good number. So like we cannot forget while the film and on screen universe of Star Wars is problematic at best at best. The books are so good and do a lot of this stuff too. And so there's so many great novels out there that talk about the clones, experience of the clones, stuff like that. 
And um, I think I mentioned this in uh, one of the recent episodes that'll be up on Patreon. We were talking about the clones, but um, Karen Travis's novel novelization of the Clone Wars movie fantastic and uh does a really good job of humanizing the clones and putting their needs and the way they're treated by the galactic republic to the forefront and stuff like that uh this feels like a great moment to mention uh one of my favorite like tumblr memes which is somebody posted like uh disney can't destroy the eu like the eu is whatever like lives on in your heart or whatever and then somebody else misunderstood and instead of extended <laughs> universe thought they were talking about the european union that's what was in my head when you said that i was like of course they can't destroy the the european union yeah they're doing that it's, themselves it's good it's even good. britain couldn't I mean, to be fair, in my head, it was like, they can't destroy the European Union. The European Union will nevertheless continue to protect us from things like Apple's ridiculous, like, user-only, whatever, special snowflake chargers and privacy. I mean, we we can hope. But this was specifically a post about Star Wars. That's fair. The extended universe. I went with european union though too i have read i've read about maybe 15 books from the extend uh the former extended universe but um i can i honestly though like i i this is a tangent and a half i'm sorry listeners no i'm not i'm not sorry this is why you listen to this anyway but like people complain a lot a lot of star wars fans complain a lot about disney getting rid of the extended universe and for good reason i mean there's some good stuff in there but like it's also still very much centered on white cis men and one of the things i love about the new canon is it is there are few and far between books on white cis men most of the books are on other people and Mm -hmm. expanding that and i love that and i love that disney is devoting their literature to that even if they refuse to depict other than white cis men on screen at least in literature they are i mean i like for what it's worth i i do think that the newer star wars content has been a little better in terms of like diversity i'm not saying it's good but like they've they've taken some baby steps and then of course like the the actors of color that they have cast have had to deal with like horrible backlash because like how dare there be an asian person in my my space opera but that's yeah that's a separate issue like yeah which like also pairs with like casting and or as like someone with a natural and not exaggerated latino accent was a first like i remember um not going to say their name because they don't know if they don't want me to repeat who they are but like talking about like going with their dad and that was the first time their dad had ever seen a movie with somebody with a similar accent where it wasn't exaggerated and it wasn't the like goofy character or like some sort of racist portrayal yeah and like they they kind of get at that 
right? Like C-3PO has a European, has a British accent. And so you kind of get that there are different accents, but they're still all largely European. Until we get to the prequel trilogy. And then we have all the racist accents. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I did not know that when I first saw the episode one, which we'll get to in five movies or something. Did you talk about any of my background stuff that I had in there? Um, some of it, but then a lot of it was just like I, the names of people. Yeah, and I, was I figured. Like, so gibberish. I just, uh, I just want to kind of bring this up because that's exactly what's coming to mind. Is that the prequel trilogy is widely considered to be awful because George Lucas had like sole creative and directorial control over it. The first, the original trilogy, one of the reasons it is so enduring is because George Lucas came up with this idea and it was a solid idea, but we needed all these other people to really turn it into the gold that it has become. So Gloria Katz and Willard Hayek's revisions to the script that George Lucas to make it coherent, Mm. Brian... (laughs) Brian De Palma, who directed Carrie, which we're going to cover on the show at some time, rewrote the entire opening scrawl for George That's Lucas because he read was. he read the opening scrawl and was like, "This makes no sense. No audience member is going to stick around through this." So we he wrote it on behalf that. of George Lucas. We were talking about um, it that you have to like have such like it's a bold thing to do, and but you have to do it so well. And turns out George Lucas could not do it so well yeah. and needed help. Uh, and he fully ripped, fully ripped. Well, not a rip off. I mean, it's an homage to Flash Gordon. But that's how Flash Gordon would start too, with mm-hmm. with those kind of. But then we have the cinematographer Gilbert Taylor, who was always battling with George Lucas over the um, production. But because of his cinematography, we have a lot of those great shots. Uh, Marsha Lucas edited the movie to make it what it is. <laughs> Uh, and we, she divorced George Lucas after Return of the Jedi, and mm. we really, really miss her editing for that prequel trilogy. Oh um, wow! And then Ralph okay. McQuarrie's art is like the entire. Close your eyes and just visualize anything in the Star Wars universe, and it is comes from Ralph McQuarrie's art artistic concepts then of course ilm industrial light and magic doing the special effects so it's like this huge team effort put together this great trilogy and then when we see what happens when george lucas gets all the credit for it and suddenly there's nobody to tell to help him edit nobody to help Mm -hmm. him and we just get his single-minded vision and that's the prequel trilogy Mm -hmm. so yep interesting i did not know all of that this changes everything. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Um, speaking of sexism and holding up a man who's <laughs> not actually competent, sexism in space. That was my line. Root I know. <laughs> but I had a transition and I had to grab it while I had it. There you go. Yeah. Um. Because yeah. women don't wear bras, apparently. In underwear. Space. No underwear yeah. in space. I mean, Even like, though what we actually know is that, like, diapers is mostly what people wear in space. Or, yeah. I feel like the the problem with Leia's characterization is not whether or not she wears a bra. The problem is 
that she is wildly more competent than any Mm -hmm. male character Mm -hmm. in the movie and yet Mm -hmm. she is given such like short shrift Mm -hmm. to the extent that like the movie i think it was i think it was episode eight was the first one to be released after she died and they had like forever our princess or whatever for Leia, for like Carrie Fisher instead of our general and like that it's always like pushing her back into the like delicate damsel even though she's the one who like pushes back against Darth Vader pushes back against Tarkin pushes back against all of these guys watches her entire home planet including her parents that she is also politically responsible for be destroyed and then comforts Luke about the old guy in the neighborhood who disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. She also shut out that vent. Hmm? Yeah, exactly. And then sends them all to their potential doom with the trash compactor. I mean, they would, I mean, it's not like they were in danger. Stormtroopers can't hit a shot anyway, but right. no, <laughs> obviously they to get out but of the hallway. Josh, it was the... like, Josh, the the sand crawler, only Imperial troops could have that that accuracy to take out the treads. Which the as only long as time we... they've ever been accurate. <sighs> it just cracks me up that they say that line. Like I wrote that down, and it's just like that's the only time you're gonna hear it is in this first episode. Like, no, they're terrible shots. Yeah. Famously. And yeah, then... and like just the fact that obviously, and I'm you know, we can talk about the retcon that Luke and Leia were not originally siblings. And that's so obvious in this movie mm-hmm. because she is, is so, so clearly set up as the romantic interest, which like, of course, like mm-hmm. this is how movies are made, especially in the seventies. Um, mm-hmm. And, and this like, Oh, well there's three characters, right? It's like Luke, Leia and Han, like who's Leia going to fall in love with, which still kind of ends up being like the end result that she does end up with Han. But, uh, like, one of the very funny moments is when, after they've escaped the Death Star, Han is like, do you think, you think, a, you know, a, a girl like that and someone like, and Luke's, and Luke's like, like, no. Like, no. <laughs> do no. not. Narratively, this is clearly being set up that she's going to be with me because she gave me a kiss on the cheek. And it's like, mm-hmm. this is all very cringy. Yeah. If it's if your female characters are more than love interests, then you don't run into these kinds of problems, George Lucas. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the Hunger Games and the way Katniss was manipulated into a love triangle with Peta and Gale. That like even as she was in the love triangle, that was not the main thing for her. It was mm-hmm. never the main thing for her. It was the main thing for both of the boys. But it was never the main thing for her. She was, like, you know, facing death and starvation and fights to the death and all of that stuff. Um, but she was never, like, how can I figure out a romance in the midst of dystopic catastrophe? Yeah. yeah, and I, I feel like the books were way more nuanced about that than the movies. Yeah. Oh, Not yeah. to be that person, but, but definitely. push my glasses up. <laughs> Another thing you're going to make me cover on this podcast, I'm sure, Emily. I made Emily cover mm-hmm. Twilight, so I guess it's only fair. To be fair, <laughs> I think it was my idea to cover Twilight. 
but it was my idea to be fair because okay. I talked about that in season one of the podcast oh. before you were even an inkling of a, <laughs> a co-host. All right, back, all right. Back in the days when back in I the thought days it was just before, our like lowest common denominator of how we could start. It was back in the days before you won the pet costume contest, so you couldn't even be a co-host until you won that. No I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a running, it's a That's running joke it on this podcast that Emily's prize for winning our first ever pet costume contest was to become the co-host. Mm-hmm. I like um, it. That is no longer a prize available well, to people. Um, um. Speaking of pet costume contest, uh, Josh and his wife. Uh, did a costume of their dog as K.K. Slider from Animal Crossing and it was the cutest fucking thing. And, and you didn't why submit did you it? not enter the contest? <gasps> I don't know. I think Josh knew the contest existed possibly didn't at that point. this moment. Okay. Right. Next Halloween. Next October. Yes. We've done it for three years now? Yes. It took a long time to get the eyeliner off. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um... The one thing I do want to quick say is if you um, go back and listen to our interview with Claudia Gray, she does make a very good point about Leia's character because she says that Leia, hands down, is her favorite character in the Star Wars franchise and stuff. But she was Mm -hmm. talking about growing up um, in the 70s and just how much of a desert cinema was for strong female characters. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until Star Wars came along that she finally... That it, she said it was like an oasis in the desert. And she yeah. said, of course, it's so much different now. And we've come so much farther along. But still, just mm-hmm. that her to just come on screen screen and just, you know, whisk everyone aw- away with her competence <laughs> yeah. Yeah. compared to everybody else was just. It's I mean, kind of like yeah. a New York Christmas wedding. It was one of the very first LGBTQ holiday movies and now i tried to watch it this year and i could not because it's terrible it's like a bad maybe b movie (laughs) um but at the time it was one of two that were out that year and it was the first year that there were any out in any sort of meaningful way and so it was like this huge deal and now i look back and i'm like i'm glad we have grown (laughs) since then yeah yeah, I mean, even even like as a girl growing up in the '90s, like mm-hmm. seeing Princess Leia was like a role model, right? Um, we had more kick-ass female characters in the '90s than than they had in the '70s, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like she kicks ass, and I love I love her like the way Carrie Fisher played her in the later movies in like Seven is so good. Mm-hmm. like what a glow up right so good yeah also there's a lot we're just going to talk about all of the like biases in this movie there's also a lot of anti-droid bias <laughs> in a variety of ways right there's the like no life forms so the escape pod is like ignored which you know I'm okay because it's to our benefit and R2-D2 lives um, but then like they're not allowed in Mos Eisley Cantina. They don't yeah, get any weird. awards. Like, what's the backstory there? Like, we don't serve their kind. Did you have a lot of droids coming in asking to be served and then like <laughs> making a mess? Like, what is the backstory? Right. 
You just need one to cut somebody's arm off, and then they're all banned. I, so, but does that mean now there's a no Jedi policy? Because Ben Kenobi cut that right. dude's arm off. I, I was going to say, can we talk about that? Because that's like, <laughs> Obi-Wan cuts the guy's arm off, and there's blood. You don't see that with any other lightsaber. Right. Because it because the yeah. So it's just like, that's always just like a, huh. Never realized that one. It's but it's, almost... it's it makes sense. Yeah. Also, he intentionally like... turned the temperature down on his lightsaber so that it would bleed <laughs> for dramatic effect. Yes. And then say, also, it's kind of a dramatic response to like somebody bugging Luke and trying to start a fight. Like, that's a drastic, that's like Han's shot first levels of escalation. Escalation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Han at least knew the guy could kill him. Well, and I, like, the way that I kind of saw that this time around was, like, Obi-Wan puts all of his eggs in the Luke Skywalker basket, and he is like, this is the, this kid, this kid is gonna save the universe. And so he, like, goes way aggressively violent to protect him in the cantina. He, like, openly uses his force suggestion against the stormtroopers. And then, like... That was kind of how I took him dying in the fight against Darth Vader, too, is that he's like, oh, like, now I'm going to die, and then I'm going to haunt Luke for the rest of the movie to make sure that he, like, finishes the mission. Speaking yep. of ghosts, Josh. Right? Oh, man, that freaked me out. Ghost. I mean, he's literally called a force ghost, but yes. <laughs> it's in the name. Yeah, and, like, details. <laughs> Again, I know there's, like, so much canon that was, like, built up later, but just thinking about episode four as a standalone movie, I, like, don't know how you're supposed to interpret that. Because Darth Vader, like, slashes him, and then he vanishes, and Darth Vader kind of, like, kicks the robe and is like... Right, and is like, where did he go? He's gone. I guess this is normal. (laughs) Right? Um, I always felt like, and again, I was, like, a Star Wars nerd kid, like... Mm-hmm. joined websites where you could be named a Jedi Knight if you answered <laughs> these questions correctly. But, <laughs> like, it was always my understanding that, like, you know, at that moment, that's when Obi-Wan was like, I'm giving myself to the Force. I'm just giving, like, mm-hmm. letting everything go. Theosis. Mm-hmm. Union and, with the Divine. And then I think Vader's response was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> he is gonna be stronger now. Like, Mm-hmm. something's Which, okay. not great i love that quote so the quote from obi-wan kenobi is if you strike me down i'll become more powerful and it reminded me of the quote attributed to archbishop oscar romero which also echoes scripture and jesus words if you bury me i will become a seed reborn in the salvadoran people and this sense that martyrdom itself be- gives birth to new movements right and we see it like we just had in our scripture readings at church like jesus comes on the scene after john has been arrested and like that pattern of and for john it's arrest and not yet death but like the pattern of death and rebirth and the ways that that plays out and creates more power and more energy and we see that like luke takes that on luke is like distraught about this strain this as of a day ago, stranger-ish person 
acquaintance being killed, but then it like motivates him for all of these things. Yeah. But yeah, it's also, definitely like uh apparently at least some of the time if you kill a Jedi, they just poof. And mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. with with episode 4 there is no precedent. Like the very idea of a Force ghost is so weird if you like mm-hmm. pretend you don't know the rest of the Star Wars canon. Uh, I was going to say I think going back to, you know, random old guy in the neighborhood. I think <laughs> in Luke's vision and I'm, you know, projecting in the Luke whatever account like obi-wan was like the first like cool thing that happened to him like his biggest Mm -hmm. memories are blowing up womp rats (laughs) like and all of a sudden like with bigs yeah with bigs and then all of a sudden here's this person that's like i fought in the clone wars i've resisted the empire and also the first person who actually like gives him any information about his father Mm-hmm. too so it's like, like i'm losing my one connection to my father and obi-wan yeah. was like supporting him and building him up and it seemed like you know his aunt and uncle were trying to take care of him but just keep him mellow Safe. like they didn't want because they understood like you can't ever let darth vader know that he has his son's alive yeah. Yeah. Right. this is a good time to use your favorite lord of the rings quote emily that we're keeping Luke secret and safe. I actually oh, said it earlier. <laughs> I was like, keep, keep Luke secret. secret, keep him safe. Keep it secret, keep it safe. I did say it earlier about Obi Wan. Oh, <laughs> Jenny was talking about him as the old wizard. Yeah, well, yes. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, keep it secret, keep it safe. My favorite is actually, I am no man. Take off the I'm helmet iconic. and stab him. Iconic. I know. Mm-hmm. I've now been tracing that particular like phrasing in like it has popped up in other movies. For example, at the end of Clone Wars, the TV show, when Ahsoka is fighting Anakin slash Darth Vader, and Darth Vader is like, "Revenge? That's not the Jedi way." And then Ahsoka says, "I am no Jedi," and amazing. Fights. And then Fantastic. somebody else was it oh in echo they're like that's not how a man does the thing and she's like i'm no man fight 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 (laughs) it's great i like all of a sudden it is everywhere Mm. still the most iconic is lord of the rings but well it also is the first the the privilege of being written in the 1940s and published in the 70s um (laughs) Mm-hmm. Also, can I just say that I am disappointed with the lack of gayness in this movie? Mm-hmm. Like it's gay, it's very camp. C three PO is there. Well, yeah, C three PO and R two D two clearly gay couple. Um, and also like it's super camp. So like if so like it's queer in that sense too. It's super campy. But like, and Luke is clearly being clearly gay he hasn't figured out his sexuality yet he thinks he's in love with his sister but he doesn't realize until a f- little bit later that oh no i'm actually in love with han we'll talk about that in empire strikes back <laughs> <laughs> but like it is a love triangle it's just, it's just not <laughs> in the middle yeah it's just very disappointingly mm-hmm. not it's not gay enough i want more gay that's what fan fiction is for yeah that's true that's fair mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh 
And the last thing I, I will say, well, two things, two last things, but both have already been talked about. So it's more just a mention um, in other episodes we've covered in Star Wars universe. One is the light and or dark will binary. have been talked about. <laughs> yeah. But one is the light and dark binary of the force, mm-hmm. which is gross and false binary and also colorist. Um, and the second is the force itself. Is it pantheism? Is it panentheism? Is it both? Neither? Is it God? Is it something else? Who knows? But kind of. Is it things. the ultimate concern? A la okay, Tillich. I mean, Nerds at Church did a deep dive on it in our first season, and I just like edited that to go up on YouTube. So fresh in my mind. I like it as the ultimate concern, but they do talk about it as the ultimate power. Mm-hmm. Um, because when they're talking about the Death Star, Darth Vader says, "This your technological terror is nothing compared to the power of the Force." And like, here's the most advanced creation that they can make. And retcon, we end up finding out that the Death Star is powered by the Force through the use of kyber crystals. <laughs> so, if you want to get super nerdy about it. <laughs> Push up my glasses. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. I love the amount yeah. of glasses pushing we've got going on in this well, episode. Literally, all of us are wearing glasses too. So. Um, and they're almost identical. Oh my god! Jenny's are slightly different than the rest of ours, but yeah, the three of you have very, very similar styles. I like it. It's a good look. Uh, the Clark Kent okay. style. Oh, mm-hmm, I could trade. Mm-hmm. No, these are my computer glasses. They look almost identical to my non-computer glasses. Except you can't see distance with them. Hmm. Well, you might be able to. I can't. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, these are so I don't into awe. That's a, good to wear them. Mine are so things don't go. <laughs> I see in the notes, Emily, one more thing that you haven't touched on while I've been here thus far, which is Hans' premature ejaculation. Um, and referencing a Sojourner article about it. <laughs> we talked about it earlier. Okay, just one. Han shoots sure. first. I mean, we didn't. For those of you not making the connection, references you. that I was not there. <laughs> it's kind of like when Star Wars takes on the EU. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Okay, well then I guess we can move to Force Lore, which is basically mm-hmm. where we talk about what the movie adds to the lore of the universe which this is the first so clearly everything is added to Mm -hmm. for the first time but um i do like there's a few things in this that this movie makes it very clear which later movies either softly retcon or come back to or expand upon which is one the jedi being a religion um uh, and in fact Tarkin himself says to Darth Vader that the Jedi are destroyed. Vader is the only one left of their religion and specifically Mm -hmm. uses the word religion. Um, Obi-Wan's quote about the force is what gives the Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us and penetrates us. Also, his power. Come on. Yes. And this little gay being surrounded and penetrated. (laughs) Um, Also ultimate power which we have talked about um but also that the jedi can talk to each other from the great beyond Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you can move slash 
move things slash kill people with your mind slash with miming. Who knew mimes had so much power? Yeah. Uh, if I may add a quote that always yes, like strikes please. me with this now, uh, it's mm-hmm. in most Eisley when he actually, you know, does the mind trick on the uh-huh. stormtroopers and looks like, what was that? And he's like, Oh, the force has a strong power on the weak minded. Mm, yeah. Which use with that, whatever political atmosphere you want to use. It <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which is like, you know, let's toss in ableism to all the isms we've got going on. Um, but yeah, it is true. And one other thing that I just think is hilarious is um, speaking of the lightsaber is like, we are being built up that the lightsaber is this great weapon. And we mm-hmm. see it only being used in the first act. And then it just never comes back in this film. And so, well, like, it comes I feel back when uh, when Darth Vader and and Obi Wan are fighting. Okay, so it comes back a little bit in the beginning of the second act, but then we, but it feels it's like it feels half. very like it feels very Chekhov's gun. Like we're getting built up for this huge epic, conclusive battle, but then, then the battle happens in space. There's no, yeah, there's no lightsaber, and so it's just so interesting to me that. The lightsaber is such an enduring um, symbol of the Star Wars universe, mm-hmm. even though it feels so underutilized in this movie, and it's yeah. even fairly underutilized in Empire. Really, only you know, really only get that big epic payoff battle in Return of the Jedi. I mean, I feel mm-hmm. like uh, I have I have an in-universe answer to that and an out-of-universe answer to that. In-universe, Obi Wan says. This is, what is it, like a more sophisticated weapon for a more mm-hmm. civilized age or a more elegant weapon for a more civilized age. More elegant for more civilized age. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, of course you're not going to bring a lightsaber to a Death Star fight, right? That, like, the rules have changed. And so, like, that has shifted. Like, the, the lightsaber is no longer suitable, I think, in the context of this film. I think out of universe... Um, every child who watched Star Wars and had access to, like, a wrapping paper roll <laughs> had a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so, true, like, it's true. It's, it's like, enduring iconic status, I feel like, is rooted in that, right? Like, there's yeah. lots of cool things in Star Wars, but there's mm-hmm. nothing better than than playing lightsaber and, like, whacking your sibling over the head with a paper towel roll or whatever as the youngest sibling i find great offense in that (laughs) as as a fellow youngest sibling i find great delight in having done that (laughs) no i knew better than that run like hell if you do (laughs) i mean i knew that part (laughs) yeah it's true it's true I mean, I think that's a really big homage to, like, you know, the samurai style. Like, mm. here's the katana. Here, You know, it's this the samurai mm. sword. It's so iconic and revered. But you don't, you know, it's not like they use yeah. it every day, but it's just such a brilliant image. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is a sense in which it is um, more, it's less, I think the, so, okay. I, when I was in seminary, we, I took a class called the Spirituality of Lakota Christian Dialogue, and we went to 
Pine Ridge and Rosebud Reservations for a week as part of the class. And we were talking to an Anglican priest there who was, who's Lakota. And he talked about how people talk about like becoming more civilized and white people talk about being more civilized. And like, that's part of the narrative of um, manifest destiny and colonialism and all of that stuff. And he was like, but really we've just gotten more civilized at killing each other, which is we've gotten more distanced from the killing, right? Like we're literally, we're not even flying the, the planes anymore. Drones do that, and we all sit in, like, Des Moines, Iowa, and fly the drones to kill the people. Um, and, And so there is something about lightsabers that their primary use at a distance is defense, right? Where they're used to block incoming stuff, which can be, like, a defensive offense if they angle their lightsaber the right way to like have it bounce back right but it is a more intimate thing so you have Mm -hmm. to be close enough to reach somebody to really kill them with a lightsaber and add into it that it automatically cauterizes the wound and you are less likely to kill somebody and more likely to disable them to maim them and that they are more likely to live and then you have to have and then there's a different repercussion of living with and seeing and engaging with and like figuring out what it means to be a peacekeeper or to repair damage and harm and violence with someone who you have physically cut off a limb Mm -hmm. of theirs and yet they are able to still live because you cauterized it immediately which I think is like there there's something there for me that I'm like, okay. Yeah, and I feel like when you combine that with the fact that the Death Star makes such a like clear analog for like nuclear warfare, right? This yeah. idea that like a single weapon could potentially destroy a planet. Mm-hmm. Um it's like a very strong juxtaposition. And then I don't know how to like combine that with Obi-Wan choosing to like put his lightsaber away and die at the the end of you know his his little story arc yeah i feel like it only happened because they didn't know what to do with him and they had to get rid of him it's here with a thousand faces you have to kill off the master so the apprentice can take over well i also feel like it was a no-win situation because say obi-wan somehow defeated darth vader all those stormtroopers were there watching like as terrible of a shot as they are, one of them is going to be able to get through his lightsaber blocking. Yeah. Well, and he needs he needs to die so that he can haunt Luke. Yeah, yeah. Previously that's established. literally like. And also, this is a um, this is uh, what what is what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, apocryphal story, but Alec Guinness apparently begged George Lucas to kill off his character because he was sick of saying these weird lines and didn't want to have to come back for a sequel. I've read that. Jokes on Uh, him, though. He had to come back for both sequels, but still. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure that is not what George Lucas, that is officially not what George Lucas said. Of course. The commentary, and in fact, was like, said that he was like not happy that his character was killed off so quickly. The thing to learn about George Lucas is anytime he talks about Star Wars, take it all with a grain of salt. Like he just, 
he makes up so much shit about Star Wars. Like, it was always going to be nine parts. It's like, no, it wasn't. Luke yeah. and Leia were always going to be... It's like, no, they weren't. Come on, dude. No, it's kind of creepy if they were. Right? So. Um, well, I guess we can rate the movie. So, out of ten Kyber crystals, which are the crystals that power a lightsaber and the Death Star, mm. how would you rate it? And do you have a favorite kill? Um, we can we typically start with the guests unless you need time to think, and then one of us can start. Trash, Jen, Jen, go. I can go. I would give this eight out of ten Kyber crystals, um, just mm. for the fact that so much of my younger life was like based mm. around like watching Star Wars and loving like that story of mm. the small town kid that lived on a farm becoming great. <laughs> Uh, it's me. That's you. That right. Um, and favorite kill. I mean, I do love the Tie Fighter that just like lost his concentration, and the one that like spun out and hit Darth Vader off. That is probably just because I don't even think Khan hit him at first. I think that one was just distracted yeah. and just like <laughs> clipped Darth Vader and like sent him flying off into space, which would have been a miserable trip back to an Empire-controlled area. <laughs> yeah that tracks uh i will give it i'll give it seven kyber crystals and like five of those are for the score and the art design mm. <laughs> um and i was trying to think about my favorite kill i i am gonna say my favorite kill is every poor control panel that got murdered in their like escape from the death star <laughs> they shoot so many control panels right and then my favorite is when leia's like find the controls to extend the bridge and luke's like oh i just shot those <laughs> you dummy yep. yep yep yeah what about you pace of course you're gonna go last yeah um the audience to... cannot witness my eye roll because they do this every time um Almost every time. Occasionally I switch things up if I'm like, I know exactly what I'm rating this, but I don't right now. It's the first. I, I gotta be careful. I think I will also rate this an 8 out of 10 Kyber Crystals. So right okay. there with Josh. Um, I It's just such an iconic cultural moment, and it has created such an immersive universe from like the books, the movies, the TV shows, some of them are really good, some of them aren't. But then also, like you're saying, the uh, Jenny earlier about the like uh, all the um, fanfics and stuff like that, and just like how much creativity this has inspired, and how many people saw Princess Leia and it's like I want to go to space and stuff like that. Uh, kind of similar to how Star Trek inspired uh, people as well in that way. So mm-hmm. I. So for those reasons, I give it eight out of ten. And um, Kyber crystals. My favorite kill is probably uh, Grand Moff Tarkin because he's an asshole and he totally deserved to go out. But a close second is TK. What was his four two one? Yeah, TK four two one. Because if you read the from a certain point of view book you find out about his and tarkin's little gay love affair so it makes it that much more tragic um that he dies and off screen too yeah yeah 
Um, I am reading it 6.5, six and a half Kyber crystals. Um, similar to Jenny, uh, the score and the art design, and similar to Josh and Pace, the like nostalgia of it. Um, mostly it's a 6.5 for the sake of R2D2 and Leia, and it is not higher for the sake of Luke, the whiny boy, <laughs> and Han. <laughs> yeah. The movie really has to overcome the Luke dragging it down as the main character. <laughs> yeah, like it it's really just like, works hard. I mean, to do that. the whole like when we were watching it, I haven't watched it in a while because I've been like waiting to rewatch it for you know like practically a year now. Um, but I was while we were watching it, I was like, when we were reading the from a certain point of view, I was like, there's basically like three scenes that there's a bunch of different characters on, and that's it. And then when we were watching, I was like, oh, it really is like Tatooine on the Death Star, destroying the Death Star. Like, those are the three scenes. And so while we were watching it, I was like, this is taking forever. And then all of a sudden, we were destroying the Death Star. And I was like, wait. Uh, Yeah, I definitely, as I was watching it, I would like pause and turn to my husband. And I was like, I'm Luke Skywalker. And I'm going to look sulkily at the sunset now. (laughs) Oh, that's such a cool scene. And I'm going to look sadly at this chessboard now. Agreed, though. I'm with you, Joshua. I'm like, yes. And also, it looks really cool. It would look look cool without Luke in it. Right? Agreed. No. He's not the cool part. As somebody that like has always like either had really curly hair or like started losing their hair and is starting to accept it, that scene with like the two sons and then like Luke's hair blowing in the wind, like ah, oh, I wanted that so bad. No, no. From behind, he could be a lesbian, like with that butch haircut. Like I'm, I'm he for could, that. but he's way too whiny for it. I don't know. I've met quite a few whiny lesbians. Josh, I feel uh, like I feel like what you're saying though is that 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 image of Luke was like gender euphoria for you. Yeah, I respect <laughs> it. That Beautiful. that was a fantastic like hair flip mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. all of our listeners who won't ever see it missed out on. But. And if it wasn't so bitter cold, I would have shaved my head, so it would have been even more ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> I have I have been there. Um. I will say for my favorite kill, I am also a Grand Moff Tarkin favorite kill. I am not going to put TK421 as my like secondary favorite kill because then it just becomes a tragic love story and I have to have some version of empathy for Grand Moff Tarkin and I don't want to do that. He's the asshole who they're like, um, there is a chance that uh, this could go bad and he's like, pshaw! Literally like the hubris on him mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and i had no jump scares which is i'd be surprised if you did surprising. considering how yeah. many times you've seen this and also the fact that it's not really a scary movie yeah there isn't a, a we do jump scares because i am the horror padawan in this co-hosting relationship so we have not yet graduated to watching the really scary ones at night listen i, I i'm right the there day. with you i'm right there with you emily i mean we your first guest appearance, you watched a scary movie, Jenny. No, we didn't. That we movie watched, was not scary. We watched it was a laughably vampire funny. anime, and it was incredibly campy. It was not it, scary, especially when dub. If you watch the dubbed version, yes. Um, well, 
where can our listeners find you both uh, if you want to share shout out any social media handles, upcoming projects, and also importantly, where can they catch an episode of Irreverent Bible Talk? Yeah, besides can... the one that we're going to link to with Pace. Yes. Uh, please listen to our episode uh, episodes. We did two uh, with Pace. Uh, you can find Irreverent Bible Talk wherever you get your podcasts uh, or at soundcloud.com slash irreverent Bible. Did I get it? Did I get it right, Josh? Thank you. I believe so. You're the one that has to handle all that stuff. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> you love it. Can they follow you like individually anywhere on social media or anything? Uh, you okay can find me. No. Uh, my my profile is is public, so you can follow me. Uh, I don't post a ton these days, but uh, every once in a while I go on a tear, and then I have like a lot of snarky opinions that I share on social media. So it's coming close to Lent, so I feel like now's a good time to start following you. Now's a good time for snarky opinions. (laughs) As I call it, a Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) A day ending in Y. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't, I'm not big on the social media. I know I should be someday, but. We don't do shoulds. Anymore, like. No shoulds. Fair. Anymore, like, I get my phone and I'm just like, I pass it to my wife. Like, how do I do this? (laughs) <laughs> and I don't know when this happened. Like I used to be good at this, but God now it's bless. like technology. Like I got nothing. You've got more important things to do, like uh, Lego Fortnite. Ooh, that sounds just, fun. It's like Lego Minecraft. That's what it feels hmm. like. I love it. I, love I was actually picturing building forts with Legos. You can do that, but it's like a video game. It's virtual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was picturing it in person, and I was like, oh, that would be so cool. Okay, go do shoot or whatever. (laughs) Well, I will announce our next scary movie, and then Emily can announce our next Star Wars movie, because obviously I'm the one who's all excited about the scary ones coming up, Um, which next week we're going to be covering Alien, from 1979, directed by Ridley Scott. So speaking, every other speaking of kick-ass female film protagonists, right? I am so excited to talk about this movie. Um, I'm excited to see it for the very first time. It's good. <laughs> it is really good. Um, can't say that for pretty much the rest of the franchise, except maybe Aliens, but the first one, so good. Um, but yeah, so every other week we're going to be watching one of the Alien movies. Super excited to cover that. And then Mm -hmm. in two weeks... Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back. Released in 1980, directed by Irvin Kirshner, with special guest Pastor Beth Wartick. I'm super excited about having her on the podcast. Yay! Mm -hmm. Well, thank you again to our guests. I know this was a long episode. I only joined halfway through, and we still went for an hour with me on it, so I don't know how (laughs) long y'all were going. <laughs> uh, probably an hour, I think. What are we at? Yeah, we're at like two hours. You're but, welcome. Yeah, thank you both so much. This was the parts I was there for was a really good conversation. The part before I was there, I'm sure, was lackluster. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Ouch. Um, it, it was Ouch. it was fun. It was fun, but it was more fun once you got here. Oh, yeah. thank you. 
Uh, thank you for having us on. It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And my car is dead. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that's it for our show. Our theme music was by Matt May. We drop seasonally on Thursdays. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Support us on Patreon and get access to all of the other Star Wars movies that we're covering this season, which are not the trilogy of trilogies. Um, some Predator movie commentaries, some more stuff like that, TV shows, all that. Patreon Discounts to our merch store. Yep, discounts to our merch store. Uh, so go to patreon.com slash horror nerds at church. It's only $5 to sign up. So cheaper than hitching a ride with Han Solo to Alderaan. Um, significantly cheaper than that. Way cheaper. Follow us. Yeah. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Insta at horror nerds at church, Twitter and blue sky at H N A C P O D for all the latest updates about everything. Pretty much until next time it, Read the room. If you just lost your wizened old neighbor and you are being comforted by a woman who lost her entire family and planet, maybe, maybe, maybe get you could offer a little ass. bit. Of, yeah, get your head out of your ass and offer a little bit of consoling for her, too. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just blowing right by it, George Lucas. <laughs> Thank you.